When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I'm Ben Bullen. Ben, today's topic is one that uh, a lot of people are going to immediately think, well, this will never happen to me. Mm-hmm. However, I want you to stay tuned because there's some pretty startling numbers that are involved in this one, right? Yeah, that's true. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, today we are talking about how to escape a sinking car. Sounds like something out of the movies, but yeah, it happens. That's right. It happens more than you think. And that's why I'm telling everybody to listen to this one, because uh, you know whether or not you think it's going to happen to you or not, it's good just to kind of have this information on your uh, on your mind, in the, in the catalog of information that you have, uh-huh. to know how to get out of a car if it ends up in the water. And it's really, really important. Here's how, here's how common this is, Ben. And I didn't, I didn't know this. Some studies say that over 10,000 water immersion accidents happen each year. Now, that's not completely sinking or anything like that. That's a car that ends up in a pond, you know, on a golf course or something like sure. that. You know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but, but some of them do end up to the point where, you know, the water is above the, the top of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. The passengers are, are faced or tasked with, uh, escaping that vehicle in some way. And it's not as easy as you may think. However, it's possible. And it all comes down to about five or six very clear steps. Right. Uh, we're going to walk through those steps, and we're also going to, along the way, have some recommendations about stuff. This is one of the things that you see in films often, or TV shows, you know, but it's not, as we'll find, uh, accurate. Yeah, they're portrayed in a very Hollywood-like way, uh, as we'll find out, because there's a, a few... Critical things here that mm-hmm. you, you really need to understand that differ greatly from what you will see on on uh, on the big screen, I guess. Right. And and you know, I, we mentioned that it's pretty common, right? Yes. Sir. Now, some people survive; other people, unfortunately, don't. But um, and I want to tell you that you know, towards the end of this, I want to mention a few cases that are of the extreme, I guess. You know, people that have been gone missing for a long, long time. Right. And I think we've talked about some of these in the urban legend show that we've done. Yep. You know, with the uh, the sunken missing cars, the mm-hmm. teenagers that go out and don't come home, that kind of thing. It really does happen. So we'll talk about some of those later. But I want to tell you that the truth is, and, and this is honest truth, Ben, bridges sometimes do break. Yep. Sometimes they're, you know, in, uh, you know, such poor repair that they collapse or something like that. Oh, uh, yeah. It's unusual, but it does happen. Uh, the Federal Highway Administration uh, has about 12% of the bridges in the United States deemed structurally deficient. Oh, boy. Okay. Now, not all of them go over water. I understand right. that. Right. That's the case, right? But the guardrails, you know, that's the uh, the problem there, right? Also, you know, the cars can just simply skid off the road. That's another sure. possibility. Yeah. That, that happens. lose traction. Exactly right. They lose traction, swerve to avoid something like that. Oh, maybe a Pelican, like that uh, like that Bugatti driver, oh. <laughs> <laughs> who is now facing, what, 20 years in prison or something like that for... Yeah. Uh, for um, insurance fraud, I think it was. Yeah. Uh-huh. Also, you could um, you could go over or around a guardrail, you know, or maybe there's not a guardrail in a position that it should be in, because that happens too. Um, you know that, uh, you know, as you approach a bridge that goes over a body of water, um, you know, not 
always, it's not always the case, it should be, but it's not always the case that there's a guardrail in a position that would prevent you from going to the left or right of that bridge and going into the water. And that's a, that's a real hazard. You may have to swerve off of the road into a body of water because of an accident or an out of control oncoming vehicle. I mean, that's something that a lot of people don't think about, but you know, if you have been in an accident, listeners, or you know someone who has been in a serious car accident, then you know that in some cases, uh, drivers have no choice but to go for the ditch because it's the safest possible outcome. It happens. And, yeah. you know, our point is, I guess, you know, there's many more than this, right? There's right. there's other accidents that happen, of course, lots sure. of circumstances. But um, it is possible to end up in the water with your car still. So, you know, mm-hmm. just keep in the back of your mind that, you know, that it's a possibility. And we're going to let's cut. If you're OK with it, let's walk through some do's and don'ts. How's that sound? Sounds great. All right. So uh, first... The one that you'll always hear and the one that a lot of people will never be able to do, stay calm. With that being said, remember in, you know, in Hollywood, the, you usually see a sinking car taking several suspense filled moments, you know, uh, but in real life, you'll have an average of 30 to 120 seconds. 30 to 120. So you got about uh, anywhere from 30 seconds to two minutes. Yeah, at best. Uh, well, the car is, uh, quote unquote, floating, uh, but it's really slowly sinking even at that point. Uh, and you know, if it's a, a sedan or something, it's going to sink in the direction of the engine. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. And, you know, you're thinking that uh, right away, uh, your your instinct, I guess, would be to open the door and try to get out, right? Yeah. The problem with this is, and a lot of people don't understand this. Now, I know we've talked before about this, that, you know, the, the water pressure thing is a big deal, right? Right. And you would think that that would be the case when it's, you know, nearing the, the window area of your door, right? The, mm-hmm. the, you know, it wouldn't be a problem until it's mostly covering the door. The truth is, Pretty much the second you hit the water, your doors are below the water level already, and even a few inches of water is going to be it's going to make it extremely difficult to open that door. And you don't want to open the door because when you open the door, what you're doing is popping that uh, air pressure that's keeping your vehicle from sinking super quickly. Yeah, so this is just a little bit counterintuitive. I mean, right. you want to jump out of the car, I understand that, right? Your mm-hmm. first, the, the first reaction, the first thing you should do besides staying calm, which is difficult to do, I understand, right. roll down the windows. Now, I know we've heard that before from, you know, a lot of places, and you roll down the windows, and, and some people say, well, I have electric windows, they're not going to work as soon as I hit the water, but there's a, there's a little bit of a myth there, right? Yeah, yeah, there, there is a myth there, uh, you want to go ahead and bust it? Yeah, why not? I mean, I'll, I'll tell you that electric windows should work for about three minutes mm-hmm. once the car is in the water. Now, that blew me away. I had no idea because I thought I was in the camp of, you know, the, the windows don't work immediately. Like if you don't have the old crank style windows, you're pretty much out of luck for this method of right. escape, right? Yeah, but not completely true. That, that is not the case. And they've uh, they've actually done a Mythbusters episode on this on the Discovery Channel and proven that, you know, the, the windows do last about three minutes once the vehicle's underwater. Now, if you do have the old crank style windows, um, of course, you want to get those down as quickly as possible. One thing that you got to be very careful about, and this is something that you really wouldn't think, I guess. It's kind of a instinct to grab that and really just start cranking fast. Some people actually break the crank, the window crank, oh, no. in their hand, and that would be a horrible feeling, wouldn't it? Yes, that's a that's a terrible one. No. It, it really would. And the, the other thing is that, you know, once the water level gets up to the window, uh, you're going to have a very tough time rolling that down. So again, do it quickly if you can, but calmly. Yeah. So y- your number one priority, first thing, don't open the door, you try to roll down the window and you should still be able to roll it, you know, assuming that you're conscious um, and get your seatbelt off uh, it would be the next step. Right? That is the next step. That's right. And uh, you know what? Can we can I stop here for one second? Yeah. I'm going to bring a little dark twist to this whole thing. And I, I, I mean, we haven't even thought about this yet, but. Um, there's a chance that you could be knocked out, I guess, if you hit the water hard enough, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, airbags and all that go off. But I mean, if you're knocked out and, and you hit the water, uh, your car is going to float for a little while. Then the car is going to sink and it's going to fill with water. Um, you've got a few minutes and, and likely you'll come around. I mean, you know, the water may wake you up. Um, you may, yeah. um, you know, you, you know, when people kind of slap somebody's face and, and bring them to, right. I have a feeling that cold water would do the same thing and you know, <laughs> rushing in on you. Yeah. However, I may be wrong, but, uh, that's kind of a, a thing that you don't really tend to think of. You think like when it hits the water, I'm going to have a few minutes to take care of all this, but. 
I guess there's some people that don't. Well, that's that's a really interesting point, Scott, because that's something where you're escaping a sunken car rather than a sinking one. Which we'll get to, because that's yeah. kind of the final uh, worst case almost scenario, right? right? But, um, okay, one last little thing, too, What's that? before we move on past this. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is kind of crazy, but until I read it, I didn't even think about this angle, Ben. Some people, they're... Their first instinct is going to be to grab their cell phone and try to make a phone call from oh. from the sinking car. Now, yeah, no, I I know, but I I really believe that some people will do this because of the way because it's kind of like the go to device for a lot of people. As soon as anything happens, you know, the tire sure. sounds like it's going flat before they're even pulled over on the side of the road. They've already got the phone in the hand trying to call, um, you know, a spouse, uh, brother, sister, whoever sure. to come out and help them out in some way, right? AAA or something, yeah, or I whatever. Mean, people go to their phones first. In this case, it could, uh, it could real, it could endanger you, it, especially if there are kids in the car, there are other people you need to worry about. It costs you valuable time, and time is of the essence here in this situation, right? So, okay, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt our flow here, but, no, that's uh, a really but let, good point. let's move on to, uh, I guess the third thing that you mentioned briefly is you unbuckle your seatbelt. Right. If you can unbuckle it, if it's tangled, uh, you're going to have to remove it somehow, which is why, uh, why we should take some time, if you're all right with the sidebar, Scott, and talk about some of the tools that we found out about. Ah, uh, yes, because this leads into the next one as well, right? Yep, okay, you got so, it. So let's talk about the tools. Uh, so we have found some recommendations for tools. These companies are not paying us to talk about this. Um, and I actually have owned one. I never had to use it to escape a sinking car. That's good. But uh, one of my aunts gave it to me when I first started driving. It was by far my favorite car accessory, and that was... The life hammer. And now, do you still carry the life hammer? I included it in my last car. I don't have it in this one. Ah, uh-huh. I knew yeah. I could tell by the smile, the yeah, sly smile. You know, they say that uh, if you do have one of these, the best thing to do is not to tuck it into a glove compartment or some way out of the way. Even under the seat is not a great idea. Mm-hmm. They actually have mounting brackets that you can mount them kind of near your uh, near your shin, I guess, on the uh, driver's side floorboard. Yeah, like yeah. on the uh, yeah, I guess on the uh, the panel next to your right leg or left leg, I guess. Yeah, I used to keep mine in the driver's side door mm-hmm. compartment and then i ended up putting it between the on the right side of the seat between the um the console armrest and the the seat itself i think as long as it's within arm's reach and you know exactly where it is and you could find it even if you weren't you, you didn't see it if you could right. just reach your hand out and grab it that's what they're looking for not right? in the glove box so so no, what does it yeah. what does it do oh yeah great it's a multifunctional tool and you know, I love multifunctional stuff, and uh, it's got a couple of components that are very important in these sorts of situations. Uh, probably the number one is a steel point, which doesn't feel like it's too heavy, but can break uh, most auto glass, unless you know you're in a presidential limo or something, and then you're already in a very different situation, right? Uh, it also has a small blade, uh, which can be used to cut. Seat belts, and the one that I had also had a flashlight attachment. Ah, very effective tool. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, the the blade that you mentioned that uh, I've watched that in action, mm-hmm. and uh, that is that's pretty amazing. It quickly severs a seatbelt. I mean, it's a dangerous. It has a guard on it normally. Right. right? You don't have yeah. an open blade in the car, but because um, that would be dangerous if you're grabbing for the tool in the dark or water or whatever. And, sure, you're in a panic. And, yeah, you'd lose a finger. I mean, it's extremely sharp. But uh, when when you run that thing across the uh, the seatbelt, mm-hmm. it's incredibly quick. I mean, uh, and it's got a guard on it. It's built in a in a smart way so that you know you won't likely cut yourself when you're using, using this thing. If even if you're in a panic. Yeah, it's kind of uh, recessed into the handle or the grip itself. So that the seatbelt will slide into that area. Sure, I've seen letter openers in the same yeah. built in the same way. That's I a guess. really good point. Yeah, um, similar. But that's not the only tool. No, that's right. There's others, and you know, I've I've watched a few videos of one that was really impressive to me. And again, this is not a product placement or anything like that. But uh, but it honestly, I, I would back this thing. It's amazing. It's, yeah. It really is. It's so cool to watch this in action. It's called the the Rescue Me, and that's spelled R E S. Capital Q M E, and it's just a pretty amazing little tool. It's it's something that you wouldn't think is possible with this little tiny keychain device. It's a uh, spring-loaded spike, 
And all you have to do is, of course, the spring is loaded. You know, you, you load the spring and you put that device against the window, pop the button and the window just shatters. And it's like you just then just poke it out with your hand softly. You know, it's it's the easiest thing ever. It's like ten dollars, too. It is. It's not very expensive. And it can it's a keychain thing that you could just have right there, you know, in the ignition. It doesn't get much handier than that. I mean, you know right where to go for it. So um, it, it's just a cool thing. If you get a chance uh Take a look at, you know, some of the Rescue Me videos and, and you'll see when they go to the junkyard, they can just blow out these windows in a matter of seconds. It's amazing. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Now, um, let's say that you're in that situation and you're, uh, you've already taken off the seatbelt and got the window down or something, uh, but you're not alone. You have kids in the car, someone mm-hmm. unconscious, someone who needs help. Uh, the most important stuff to remember there is first, get your seatbelt taken care of. Get the yep. window taken care of as soon as you can. Get the, and if you have kids, in there, um, I've heard different things about how to make sure the kids get out. Like, do they ideally go through their own windows? How do they fight the force of the water pushing in? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So what, what do you think, Scott? All right. My, uh, my thoughts on this are that you take care of your own seatbelt first. Then you assist anybody else. And there's a good reason for that. I mean, your instinct would be to help your kids probably immediately. Right. Of course. But you have to be able to freely maneuver yourself around as well. So mm-hmm. uh, take care of your own seatbelt first. I know that's a little bit counterintuitive to some parents, uh, you know, who were, uh, I guess, would instinctively go to the kids' seatbelts and try to get them out. But um, good thought. But, you know, you have to save yourself to be able to save them. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a bad situation to be in. I understand that. But the other thing about the uh, the water coming in yeah um i've heard a few different things on this like um you know of course you want to get everybody out quickly right yes sir and you want to be able to swim out with the kid but the problem is you're trying to swim out through a window that's pretty small so um (laughs) you would definitely get the kid out first Mm -hmm. and then yourself out first Mm -hmm. so you hand if it's a young young kid you would you would kind of feed them through the window, I guess, as the, you know, even if the water's pouring in, I know it's difficult, but you, uh, you feed them out first, then yourself, because the last thing you want is to have the kids stuck in the car as it sinks. Yeah. So we'll follow that train of thought to some different places, but we do have an advertisement of sorts today. Oh, what, what are we, uh, what are we going to advertise? We're advertising our car stuff, dream cars series. So we're advertising ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds fair. Why not? <laughs> Somebody's got to do it, right? 
Yeah, well, it's a free show. And it's a really cool thing that we're doing. Yeah, we lucked out, you guys. Uh, long-time listeners, you have probably heard uh, Scott and I talk earlier about the field trip that we recently took to the High Museum of Art in Atlanta, uh, where you might be thinking, wait a second, an art museum? But that's not the whole story, right, Scott? That's right. It's uh, it's the Dream Car exhibit. And, uh, of course, you know, it had amazing concept vehicles from, uh, boy, what was it, the 1940s even, I think? Yeah, 1940s, All, all the way through, well, through the present day, really, if you count that Porsche that we saw. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was a, an amazing collection. We had some time to not so much hands-on be around the cars, <laughs> but we could be around the cars. And, right. uh, and it was really, really fun. A lot of fun. And we, uh, we recorded... A few episodes, uh, you know, where we highlight certain certain vehicles, mm-hmm. and uh, and we threw them up on our YouTube channel for How Stuff Works. Yes, yeah, so you can go to YouTube uh, with How Stuff Works right now and check out those videos. We do hope you enjoy them, and we hope you let us know what you think because you might be seeing some. Uh, more series coming uh, from us soon, so keep your eyes peeled. Yeah, not just the Dream Car exhibit, but uh, some other stuff around town that we find interesting, and hopefully you'll find interesting as well. Yeah, and we also brought back some videos. Uh, if you like history of cars and you're kind of into cartoons, uh, you should check out these videos that Scott voiced, um, which are animator recounts of everything from what the famous Le Mans start to uh, how an F1 crew changes tires so quickly. Yeah, the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb. Mm-hmm. There's some uh, some cool stuff there. So uh, so check it out, the uh, the How Stuff Works YouTube channel, and uh, and you'll find our stuff by just searching for car stuff. Yeah, and later when people say, oh, man, I love that show, or those people, you can say, yeah, well, I knew them from their YouTube days. <laughs> <laughs> when they only did a podcast. When they only, that's the one, that's the, that's the key. Uh, but getting back to this, uh, we left off where uh, we left off when we reached a crossroads, Scott, the successful escape, right? Yeah, that's right. And swimming out of a vehicle where water's pouring in, which is difficult for even a really good swimmer. So yeah. this is something that's not easy, but you've got to keep up that struggle. You've got to get out of that vehicle before it goes down. Mm-hmm. And then the next question, what happens when you're out, when you're free from the car, but you're still underwater? Well, one thing that can be very dangerous to a lot of people in emergency situations in the water is panicking and thrashing around. Mm-hmm. A but lot of wasted energy. A lot of wasted energy um, and could be very dangerous to be in that water depending on the temperature. You know, like another thing we didn't talk about is if you fall into ice. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, it, there's so many different scenarios. You can't prepare for all of them, right? I right. Mean, you may end up in a swamp yeah. uh, with uh, with dangerous wildlife around you. That's true. Uh, man, I you know, I hate to bring up all these bad scenarios. I mean, some of these are, you know, worst case, obviously, I and mean, you wouldn't want to end up in a swamp with alligators around you or anything like right. that. Likely the crashes has scared them away. However, uh, you're going to have to deal with that at some point. Right. But we know that we know that regardless of the situation, there are a few rules that will be silver bullet rules. Uh, and they're, you know, seatbelt window, uh, getting other passengers out, especially if they're incapacitated, Helping them, and then once you are in the water, once you're free, don't thrash around. Remember, just hold, hold your breath. You can, you're going to float up unless you're encumbered by a lot of weight. That's true. I'm not a natural floater, though. You know, when I'm in the pool, yeah, uh, I'm a sinker, and I think some people are in that boat too. So you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to swim. But uh, hopefully, it's not a very long swim, and hopefully, it's not a very difficult swim. You know, because we mentioned, you know, the water rushing in and all that. And hopefully, it's not a current, because mm-hmm. uh, that's oh, that's another worst case scenario, Ben. What if it's a river with a strong current? That's another problem. Yeah, that becomes another problem oh, too. Man, I just keep coming up with more problems. Sorry, I'm bringing it down, man. Well, we knew what this was going to be when we <laughs> went into it. And I guess it's, it's never good when a car goes in the water. It's never good when even a golf cart goes in the water. I mean, no. It's, it's all bad. Well, sometimes it's funny when a golf cart goes in the water. It is. I've seen plenty of times when, you know, it's funny when a golf cart goes in the water. As someone who has aided and abetted uh, pranks involving driving golf carts in the water, uh, you know, you can have a good time with it. It's destructive, but... No further questions. <laughs> oh, ooh, no, no, you. that's I. I don't want to incriminate you in any way. Is there a statute for, <laughs> for golf cart submersion? Yeah, exactly. So Ben, let's uh, yeah, again. Let's again, on. we have to move to the point here where this is this is bad. Okay. Yeah, let's go. Let's keep getting darker. All right. What happens if you don't get out of the car and it's 
sunken. And the windows haven't gone down, et cetera, right? right? Yeah. Okay. The, the, the problem with this is that, as we've told you before, is the water pressure. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to be able to open the door until the uh, the pressure equalizes, as I'm sure a lot of people have heard in the past. you got to wait for the, the interior of the vehicle to completely fill with, with water before the pressure equalizes and you're able to open that door. You're not going to be able to do it prior to that. The problem with this has been it takes a lot longer than you might think for the car, the interior, to completely fill up. And and you're going to continue to panic as this is happening because the car is going down. It's likely dark because you're going to have this lack of visibility because it's deep enough water that the car is completely submerged, right? Because that's the situation you're in. And as the water comes in, it's not going to just rush in like you think, you know, from every little crevice and corner. Nope. Cars are built fairly tight now. It's going to take a while. And, of course, you know, if you didn't get the window down, you know, the water's not going to come in as quickly as it would um, if, if that happened. Uh, so you're going to have to uh, have a new strategy. Right. Yeah. Now, you'll you'll hear people with a couple of different ideas here. Uh, one thing that we've tried to do is sum up the most important stuff. you got to get that window open somehow because it's going to help the pressure. If you're already underwater, it's going to help the pressure. Uh, break it if you can, Right. Don't try to open your car. If it's been past three minutes, those uh, electric windows aren't going to work. But if you can break it, you're going to have to do something that sounds really, really weird, which is sit still and wait for the water to rise. Take, Take deep breaths very slowly. You're trying to oxygenate yourself as much as you can. Mm -hmm. And then once it gets – I know this sounds crazy, you guys – but once it gets to about your chin, it, it's go time. Yeah, that's right. You got to wait, wait, wait. And and the thing is, you're sitting there. You got your seatbelt off, of course, and it's slowly filling. You've got to try to get that last gasp of air, mm-hmm. and that's critical. And you got to tell your passengers what the plan is. You got to tell them because if they don't know what's going on, you got to tell them what you have to do. And uh, and this may be one of the most difficult things as well. Everybody's panicking because people are going to panic. Yeah, you got to you got to kind of take control of the situation and let the rest of the people in the vehicle know. We've got this. We can we're, do. We can do this. We're on the way out. We're just waiting for our, you know, waiting for our the right time. That's right. And and again, the struggle with a door handle. You know, you may you may end up ripping that door handle off in your hand because you're going to be panicked. Right. So try to be as gentle as you possibly can. Uh-huh. You know, make sure the doors are unlocked. You know, you can manually unlock even even electric car doors. You can manually manually unlock them. So don't really have to worry about that. I mean, you can do it, but get all that stuff in line ahead of time so that the last thing you have to do is open that door and swim to safety and use a side window we haven't we haven't explicitly said that so we need to be specific don't use don't try the windshield or the rear windshield yeah you'll never break out that front windshield because it's a safety the safety glass thing right right yeah and exactly. the other the other windows they can shatter but they take a lot of effort to do it i mean it takes uh you know a tool like we mentioned uh you would be lucky to break it out with your foot if you were trying to kick it you know that's yeah. uh, that's probably not a good way to go at it. No. Some people say that that works. It's it's not a good way. It, it's very very difficult to break a side window on a car. You need a tool, or um, you know what? And if you, you know, some people carry you know a weapon in their car, a gun, like a hammer, baseball yeah. bat, even. Yeah, whatever you got. I mean, if you can shoot that window out, if you can smash that window out, whatever you can do, use one of these special tools uh, to get out. You know, the rescue me or the life hammer or you know any of the tools that are like that. Yeah. Um, make sure you have those on hand. I mean, I mean, I know it sounds like a little bit of overkill to have something like this in the car at all times, but um, why not? If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. 
Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I would rather do overkill than be killed. I mean, the the Boy Scout Be Prepared motto is is pretty on point, honestly. I agree. And you know what? There's one more little scenario that I think we need to mention here that uh, that is another uncomfortable truth uh, that happens. And uh, this yeah. is if you uh, if you go into deep water. Yeah, if you're, uh, we were talking about this right before we recorded, if you enter a body of water that is more than 15 feet deep, uh, you run the risk of, well, the probability of uh, being in, in a situation that might have you all kinds of mixed up. On the roof. Yep. Yep, the car will, will likely end up on the roof. And uh, this is a bad, bad scenario to be in because now you're in dark water potentially. Uh, uh-huh. You know, you're panicked. You're doing, trying to do all the stuff that we talked about. You know, wait for the water to fill up, etc. Yeah. And the car's upside down. You're disoriented. It's just, it's a bad situation, Ben. Like all of these are bad, bad scenarios. I know, but if you just, you know, follow these five simple, simple steps. Like there's, there's a way to break it down into five clear, concise things that you need to do to get out, and this will keep you safe. If you can stay calm, that's number one. I know that's, that's the toughest one. That's probably the hardest one, right? Yeah. Open the windows immediately or break the window, whichever you have uh, the ability to do quickly. Do it fast, really fast. Uh, number three, unfasten your seatbelt and then, you know, your own seatbelt first and then help others. So right. get out of that seatbelt. Make sure that you're able to escape the vehicle. Number four, exit through the window. Sounds easy, but, uh, you know, do it as, again as fast as you can. If you can do it while you're still floating, mm-hmm. all the better. You know, don't try the door even. Just uh, just try to get out of that window. Um, and, you know, worst case, I guess, is you're swimming against the current a little bit as it's pouring in. Um, then last one, swim to safety. Don't stay out in the water. Don't try to tread water, wait right. for someone to arrive, whatever. Get to the shore, grab onto something that's floating. Do anything that you can, but get away from that vehicle and uh, and get to safety. There was a really good quotation we found in the course of the research by a guy named Ken Burton, He's a uh, president of a place called Stark Survival. So he guides helicopter operators worldwide uh, to teach an underwater egress class. Um, and he has had a lot of experience with these sorts of situations. And one thing he said is, don't worry about going up or going down. When you take all those deep breaths and hold it, it's like you're inflating a balloon. Ah, so you're right. You would float to the surface. I guess if you're if you're holding your breath, you're right. I mean, swim, try. Yeah, but. You're exactly right. But I guess I'm, I'm thinking more of like when I'm trying to float on my back or something like that. Uh, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a sinker that way. But if I were to take in a, uh, a lung full of air, you're right. You would, you would float. Anybody would. Hmm. So, yeah, that's right. I mean, even if you're wearing heavy clothing, maybe, maybe the advice would be to get rid of heavy clothing too. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's also just a good, a good mental picture to help someone relax. I'm inflating a balloon. That's what I would be telling myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a balloon floating in the sky. No, wait, right, no, that yeah. doesn't work. I'm, I'm a balloon floating to the surface. Yeah, something. sure. Ah, something like that. I don't know, man. I'm a peaceful little bubble floating to the top of the, there uh, we go. the top of the pond. You know, uh, I heard that Keith Moon, drummer from, for the Who, 
uh, drove one of his cars on his estate into a lake. No kidding. Yeah. Well, to uh, like do an emergency escape type it's really nice, really nice car. I can't remember what it was, but I don't think the lake was that deep. Keith I Moon, huh? I think it was just Keith Moon being Keith Moon. Interesting. Yeah, I'll find out. Uh, I'll have to look that one up and see what he drove in and uh, the situation, I guess, maybe, right? Yeah. On yeah. his own property? Yes, I believe <laughs> so. But uh, I All will right. confirm or uh, unconfirm that story. Um, Scott, I, I think uh, I'm about done here, except for some procedural business. Uh, you got one more thing? I do have one more thing that I'd like to include. One more thing. All right. Lay it on me. All right. So I, we mentioned early on in this podcast that uh, oh, there's some bad, bad situations where uh, where people go missing for long periods of time. And, uh, and these are the vehicles that are underwater. The ones that, the ones specifically that I'm talking about are the ones that end up underwater and discovered years, sometimes decades, decades later. Yeah. And it happens. It really does happen. I can't believe I forgot this. This is one of the most interesting parts of this episode. It is. It can't, well, it can be. And, you know, it goes back to the, uh, you know, the, the urban legends podcast that we've done. And that we've done a whole bit about, you know, the missing vehicles, the missing teenagers that right. go out for the evening and, you know, uh, wind up in a canal in Florida somewhere. And it, that's true. It really did happen. I mean, it's, it's happened probably more than we know yet, even. I, I'm guessing, Ben, yeah. that there are cars out there right now that, you know, they're just sitting there waiting for somebody to find them. I oh. know that's, I know that's the case because, well, you know, this happens, Ben, more often than you might think. And it's happened for a long while, since the beginning of the automobile, I would think. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, it has to have. But the recent cases that I can think of start about 1997. And I know there are other famous, you know, cases of missing people being found in deep water, et cetera. But um, the one that I, I instantly go to is that happened in, in March of 1997. Uh, there were five teenagers that were in a van that ended up in a 20-foot deep canal in Florida, and they'd been missing since 1979. So this is 18 years later when they found them. And this is the one, Ben, that I think I mentioned. I was in Florida when they found this thing. It was big news all over the place, but yeah. huge news down there. It was it just dominated the news for cycle for a long, long time. Um, the next one that I can really think of um, happened in, uh, or top of the mind anyways, happened in September of 2013. This is when they found uh, those two cars side by side. Right, several cars. It was, what, a training exercise, right? Mm. Yeah, and a training exercise gone bad. How many bodies did they find? Well, I guess you're right. I mean, it went bad in that they found some bodies, right? I mean, they were in a, a shallow pond, lake, or whatever you want to call it. I think it was, um, I want to say it's called Foss Lake. I think it's mm -hmm. Foss Lake. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were testing sonar equipment, and they found a car. And this is on you, you know, to think, well, this is strange find. They find out that there are three bodies inside the car, and it had been missing since, I believe, uh, 1969. And, you know, digging through this, they find this out later, right? Well, just a few feet away from that car, they found another car with another three bodies in it the same exact day. So, And that one had been missing since 1970. So these cars had been in there. You know, they went in a year apart. They found them the same day. But they had been missing for 40-plus years. That's how long they had been there. Yeah, and my question here is how many of these things happen because they're accidents? How many people are, you know, Put in the water purposefully to dispose of a body? Uh, could be. Could be. I mean, I can think of two more. Well, actually, one more example that came from that exact same year. Now, this is, again, September of 2013. So the same month that they found those bodies in Oklahoma, they found two girls, two missing teens. They were 17 years old. They found them in a uh, in a creek bed that had, uh, I guess there was like a, something like a drought and then a flood and then a drought again. Yeah. And it exposed this vehicle that had been there for something like you know, 42 years, Ben. Mm -hmm. uh, they had disappeared a long, long time ago. It was in South Dakota. They disappeared in 1971. And this is the first they had found them. So, uh, you know, these missing persons cases, uh, um, you know, sometimes this is the way they're solved. And there's a kind of a big thing going on down in Houston right now that maybe not a lot of people know about. What's going on in Houston, well, Scott? in 2014, May of 2014, so this year, they were, I forget what they were looking for. Oh, they were looking for a missing woman. They were hmm. already looking for this. They, they thought maybe this was the case, that she had driven into, um, you know, one of these, uh, um, a bayou, I guess, because Houston has a bunch of bayous out in the uh, outlying regions. And so they were, they were searching for this, uh, this 82 year old woman who was missing. Um, I don't know how long she's missing or what the circumstances were, but they were looking for her and her vehicle. And they were using the sonar equipment, sophisticated sonar equipment. Mm -hmm. They ended up finding 127 submerged cars in the Houston bayous. 
Now, when I hear this, okay, my instant thought goes to people covering up crimes, people covering insurance up in, fraud. insurance fraud, et cetera. But they're saying that a lot of these may end up solving missing persons cases. Now, how intriguing is that? Mm-hmm. That in the bayous, there's 127 cars that, as far as I know, are still there because the uh, the the sheriff's department or the uh, the Houston Police Department has said they've gone a record and said we just don't have the money or the resources to attack this situation right now. We don't have we don't have the yeah. money to bring them up. It's expensive to bring up one car. Exactly. So they're trying to what they're trying to do is they're trying to get the license plate numbers from all these cars. They're sending divers down, which is also kind of expensive. They're sending divers down to investigate. The, the make and model and even license plates, if they have them on them still, you know, because mm-hmm. if it's a crime situation, they may not. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, um, I guess. Probably VIN numbers, too. Yeah, VIN there's VIN. a there's a lot of speculation as to what this these 127 cars are going to yield once they do bring them to the surface or once they can investigate them further. Well, let me point out something here. Uh, the idea of disposing of a body via a submerged car mm-hmm. is distressingly plausible because it is so expensive to remove a car and then after a certain amount of time where the evidence of the car's passage you know fades away the tire tracks get rained out plants grow over it see that's the thing some some cases you know someone drives into a bayou like this you know inadvertently mm-hmm. and you know the, the next day it rains there's no evidence that the vehicle ever went off the road. Right, which is why it's dangerous. It's also why I'm I am certain, Scott, and I do not mean to sound morbid or dark, but I am objective and certain that there are hundreds of other cars that have not been discovered across the United States just because it's so big, and uh, some of those were probably murders. Absolutely, and I, I firmly believe that as well. And, you know, this this Houston case, I mean... Yeah, I'd have to see like where I'd have to almost see a map and and see where they're dropped. If it's like a uh, if it's one specific spot, you know, maybe that's a crime ring that you know that was a location that they could easily dump vehicles and uh, and just get rid of them for insurance fraud. And I'm sure that uh, that several of those are just honest and tragic accidents. Mm -hmm. Um, And there might be. Might even be people who stole cars and then just drove them into the bayou. Yeah, but let's just think. Let's think that even if one percent of these vehicles contains a dead body, you know, uh, you know, in some way, either the driver drove into the uh, into the the, uh, yeah. the bayou inadvertently mm-hmm. or on purpose, maybe you know, a suicide situation, something like that, or if somebody, uh, you know. Better check the trunks of these. You know what I mean? Mm, uh, mm-hmm. It could be something like that, you know, where uh, there, there may be some bodies in the trunks. Um, even if it's 1% of these cars, that's still, you know, maybe two people that they'll find in this. I mean, that would be so worth it for them to um, bring those vehicles up from, from the depths, I guess. You know, to, I don't know how deep these uh, these bayous are, but apparently right. deep enough to conceal, you know, big sedans or trucks or whatever they happen to be, um, you know, this is a uh, this is something they need to investigate and get down to the bottom of it. And I hope that I hope that they do something with this. I'm going to kind of watch this one because yeah. I'm so intrigued by what's going to come out of those 127 cars. We're going to keep an eye on this. And now, uh, as you can tell, our, our episode went a little bit Halloween at the end. Yeah, uh, a little bit. Yeah, but it's it's the time of the season, right? And uh, what we'd also like to do before we end the show uh, is a little bit of listener mail. All right, so I have a, uh, a letter here, Ben, that um, it's actually via Facebook. And it's from a, uh, a listener from a long time ago, Ben, someone that's, uh, that's a, a, a loyal listener. Oh, yeah? Yeah, that's, uh, it's Mark Nighthawk Bandoni. Oh, hey, Mark, how's it going? And uh, he writes in often, you know, we write yeah. back and forth via yeah. Facebook, email, whatever. Um, but he writes in and says that uh, he's, got, he's got a question. He says, I've got a question for you guys. Have you ever watched a movie that takes place in a certain time period, like, say, the 1970s, and ever wonder where the movie studio gets all those cars in the background? Do they have a warehouse full of cars from different photo or from different periods, or do they put an ad in the paper asking for certain cars from certain time periods, you know, to arrive on set? Ah, uh, yeah. And uh, he just wonders, like, is there a warehouse full of old cars, and who takes care of them? You know, the questions always bug me every time I watch a movie. Do you guys have any idea on how that works, or uh, maybe you guys could do a podcast on it or something? Well, I don't know if there's a full podcast worth of material here, Mark, but um, I do happen to know the answer to this. Ah, uh, yes, and uh, the answer is a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So, you know, the studios, as we know, they have 
tremendous collections of vehicles of all different makes and models, and they have, um, you know, departments that can work on these cars and, and mm-hmm. make them look appear, or appear as they want to. And sometimes, you know, for certain situations, they'll go out and, and gather a lot of vehicles from a certain era, you know, for that thing. Like, let's say that, you know, they're doing the, uh, the Starsky and Hutch movie. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to go out and get uh, 15 cars of the same make and model, the Grand Torino, right? And sure. they know they're going to destroy them. And so some are in a certain condition. Others are in, you know, better condition right, for the, the close-ups uh, and stuff. Exactly right. Now, what he's talking about, though, is say that they're driving through a, uh, a shopping mall parking lot. Right. And all the cars in that background, they can't be from, you know, the, the mid-2000s. Right. They have to be at least the 70s or earlier. Exactly right. So there's a there's a... a I guess a uh, an era of vehicles that have to be present in order for it to make to to look authentic, right? Right. And so one of the things that will happen in that case is, like as you guessed, Mark, correctly, uh, an open casting call for cars. Exactly right. They'll put an ad in a local paper, and I, I know this is the the case because when I lived in Michigan, I lived in uh, north of Detroit. I bet it happened a lot in Michigan. Yeah, it probably did. I but this one I know in particular because it happened just before I left. Um, the uh, the movie Semi Pro. Do you remember the movie Semi Pro? It was with uh, Will Ferrell. Uh, I think it was around two thousand eight, and it was about the uh, what was it about? It was about the uh, the Flint Tropics, the Semi Pro basketball team that wanted to go mm-hmm. pro. And mm-hmm. I, there's, there's a whole storyline there. It's funny. I've but, never seen this one. All right, so they, uh, the 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 story is supposed to be happening. Um, I think it was between 1967 and 1976 is when the uh, the ABA was around, the uh, the American Basketball Association, and that was roughly when they wanted this to happen. So they said every person in the area that has a car that predates this date, whatever it was, 1976 maybe, sure, um, you know, show up and we'll we'll put you in the uh, you know the uh, the crowd scenes, I guess, in the in the stadium parking lot. And uh, sure enough, you know, everybody turned out with their cars. The thing is, if you look at the movie, and I've, I've carefully watched this, anybody that shows up with a car like this, they're not going to show up with, like, what you would consider the cars would look like then, you know, kind of everyday drivers with dents and dings. Right. A lot of the cars that you'll see are almost like hot rod cars. Yeah. I, I've tried to really, you know, pick up on this in other, um, you know, movies where it's supposed to happen in the 1960s and they've got a lot of 1960s cars. Uh-huh. You'll see a lot of kind of like hot rod versions <laughs> because those are the people that own them and want to bring them out for stuff like this. But uh-huh. that's showing it's not really realistic in that not everybody had a, uh, you know, hot rod vehicle at that time. That's not what that shopping mall parking lot looked like. But there's another part with column A, the idea of warehousing cars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, this is where we enter into something that I, I think is, is fascinating, which is the way that productions and production companies specialize and work together. Um, I think this is something we could do in a nuts and bolts episode, but there are companies that just simply own and rent out cars with those, with very specific and stringent guidelines. So they own all pre-war cars. Mm-hmm. And they bring them out for any movie that happens to take place pre-war, right? And then their their rules will be, you know, these cars for this stuff, these cars for this stuff, mm-hmm. um, and they'll usually be approached by a studio if they're looking for a very special type of car. Um, so I guess, I guess, then the answer to your question mark is that it depends on the specificity. If it's just a year, that's a cutoff then it's more likely to be an ad in a paper. Yeah, if they're looking for, you know, 400 cars to fill a, a scene that's, you know, a, a great big scene like a like a um, a sporting event yeah. parking lot or, you know, a mall, a shopping mall. But like a, like a traffic jam in, set in the 1930s, that would be something you have to go to the pros for, I think. Yeah, and, you know, they really real only require maybe, you know, 10, 15 cars total. And I say only, that's a yeah. lot to, to gather in one spot. But yeah. uh, compared to trying to gather 400 or 500 or whatever, um, you know, that's a, uh, that's a small order. But thank you for writing in, Mark. That is an excellent question. We were talking about this off the air for a little while. But, Scott, before we go, I have to go out on a humble note. Really? Yeah, I have a correction. Uh, oh so boy, correction. With a big yeah, with a big shout out to our super producer Noel. How you doing, Noel? Uh, Noel, can we have some correction music? Okay, great. This correction comes with a shout out to James Crossman writing in on our bullpen cars episode. Oh, James Crossman, yeah, an old friend of mine. 
Oh, yeah? He is. Close oh. friend. Oh, cool. Well, uh, James, I uh, want to tell you that I appreciate your correction. And listeners, uh, here's what I got wrong. Uh, and I can't believe I did this. I'm ashamed uh, for the city. I brought dishonor on our city. We were talking about the Braves before 1966. And I'm pretty sure it was me who called them the Atlanta Braves. Oh, really? And they were not the Atlanta Braves until 1966. See, now, I had no idea, so maybe I was the one who misspoke. I have no idea, but Jim, I'll tell you, Jim knows his baseball. He's a baseball fan from a long time ago. He's, uh, he's, he's a good friend of mine from Michigan, and uh, I know he's been listening uh, starting recently. Um, I'd say maybe the beginning of the summer. And, yeah. uh, and he writes in often. He's, he's always got some really uh, really good comments. So, so the Thanks, t- Jim. Yeah. Uh, the timeline that we were talking about, they would actually have been the Boston Braves at that time. Baseball historians, uh, fellow Car Stuff listeners, we have been corrected. And with that, we are out. If you would like to respond and uh, help us with some new topics or uh, some feedback on some videos that we have coming out, then please hit us up. We're all over the Internet. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. You can listen to every one of our 600-plus podcasts on carstuffshow.com. Well, there's just one more thing. If you want to write to us directly, our email address is... Carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at Viking.com.